Welcome to Sourcing for Innovation podcast. My name is Adam Curtis. We are on episode nine. Today we're talking with Jacob Shu, CEO of Catalyte. Welcome back, Jake. Thank you, Adam. And today we're going to be focusing on uh, this idea of skills-based hiring, um, really what it is, what it differs from sort of what we think of on a traditional resume basis, send in everything to HR, get the interview, et cetera, et cetera, hiring process that's been around for I don't know, probably the entire industrial age. Um, and then also talk a little bit about how that ties into your recent uh, work with this uh, Rework America Task Force, which is part of the Markle Foundation. So let's actually, let's, let's start there. Um, for those of you listening who might not know, um, the Markle Foundation uh, had created this task force, the Rework America Task Force, which uh, Jake, our CEO, is part of. Uh, our founder, uh, Injective Chairman Mike Rosenbaum, is also part of. You have former governors on there. You have heads of industry. You have former university presidents. You have a White House, former White House chief of staff. So really heavy hitters and big thinkers in this area of what do we do in the new digital economy. Uh, but going a step deeper, sort of getting rid of the, or getting away from the what and the who, tell us a little bit about the why. Like, why was this organization formed? What's its mission? What's its purpose? What is it trying to do or enact? Yeah, well, the Rework of America Task Force is really seeking to transform the labor market from one that's solely focused on traditional credentials like degrees and work history and you know your your social and professional networks to one that's rooted in the skills needed for the 21st century. Right. So, you know, we're harnessing those same kind of disruptive forces in the economy, things like big data and artificial intelligence to instead really instead of, you know, making Americans concerned about what that does in terms of elimination of jobs to actually use those same kind of technologies to connect all Americans. I mean, especially I should mention the almost seven in 10 Americans without a college degree to new opportunities and training for these in-demand jobs for the next economy. Yeah, when I re was reading over this, that's the one thing that, that really stood out to me, especially people of, of my generation. Unfortunately, I'm categorized as a millennial, but I won't get into that at the moment. But we've always been told, you go to college, that is your path to a good job. This is sort of flipping that on its head and saying, yes, that is a good path, but it's not the only path, and it doesn't necessarily even is the best predictor for you being a good employee throughout the life of your employment. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. If you think about it this way, um, and this goes back to something that Mike Rosenbaum worked on back in his days at Harvard when he was still a professor at, you know, in, at, at, in, in university, which was that, you know, he came up, he was one of the original guys that came up with the insight that traditional ways of hiring, looking at resumes and interviews has actually no statistical correlation to successful outcomes on the job. You know, if you think about the resume today, the resume that we all use as the basis of hiring is really a very blunt tool when you think about filtering for capabilities and for you know signals that would predict for success on jobs. Uh, if you think about a resume, what do, what do your eyes go to, right? Where did this guy go to school, right? Where did this person, what were the name brand companies he or she might have worked for? What are the professional and social organizations that they're a part of? If you think about it, those are actually implicit social biases that go in there. You know, I guarantee you, if you give me a set of resumes to look through, I could probably tell you with probably 90% accuracy, the socioeconomic background of every person who comes through there. So, you know, you have this issue of the resume and sort of traditional filters that companies use to uh, hire people being frankly outdated in this world. Right, uh, you know, the resume comes from a world a data less free, right? A, a data less world, a world where you didn't have those tools that could help you to uncover 
the innate skills and potential of people. So today, I mean, given that we have the technology now to be able to uh, find these signals in, you know, both in sort of big data, but certainly within um, individuals, uh, we should be harnessing those tools to actually find better ways of finding people who can be successful in jobs. Yeah, not only the implicit bias on the person who might be looking over the resume, but um, just the, the simple padding that goes on in everyone's resume to build up, That's to right. put in, you know, maybe something a little bit more that might have not have been there, and therefore you get on the job, and yet you don't perform to where you had said that you should be performing. That's right. Um, now, this idea of skills-based hiring, and you mentioned, um, again, using some of these tools, artificial intelligence, big data, and all, this goes a step or two beyond, though, what we've come to um, be a little bit used to on like your monsters or your indeeds to sort of go through and do keyword searching and do matching up on, hey, I know uh, Java, therefore I get matched to this Java position. Give me another level here about what we're talking about in terms of this this big data or this matching people's innate ability to uh, a good job or a good job outcome. Absolutely. So, I mean, really what comes down to when you talk about skills-based hiring, it really starts with deeply understanding how to map core skill sets to successful outcomes on jobs, right? So what it does is it opens up that whole recruiting funnel to candidates who may not have the typical educational background or work experience, or let's face it, the socioeconomic backgrounds, but it opens up the funnel for these people to be able to demonstrate that they have the core skills to be successful in the job. Right, so when we can then marry these the skills-based recruiting and, and then you marry that with training and apprenticeship where you can actually advance people and ramp them up very quickly um, to give them the skills of, of what they would need to be successful on a job, um, you end up with a, a workforce that actually, um, fairly, frankly, has a lot of benefits to a company. Right. So, you know, some of the benefits, at least certainly within the Catalyte context, we can sort of talk about is, you know, many times when you bring people on from these non-conventional backgrounds into new teams, within a very short period of time, they're going to they're going to outperform traditional teams. Right. We've seen this at Catalyte where our teams of non-conventional developers uh, who've come through our program, which we call Catalytes um, in the company, they're going to outperform traditional software development teams in terms of performance, speed and quality. We've been able to show that our teams on average have been able to be three times more productive than uh, as measured on a cost per agile story point than large IT services companies in the United States. We've been able to prove and show through data that we're two times more productive than offshore teams, meaning that our teams are getting on average two times the output that uh, for the same amount of dollar spend for our, you know, with our clients. So. You know, you, you've got sort of the issue of first when you create a work, when you have a workforce of people coming, you know, that you've trained up, that you've actually found that have these skills for success, they'll outperform traditional teams. Uh, second thing that you actually also see is that, you know, we end up with more diverse teams, which has a host of benefits, right? Let, let's face it, the resume is from an artifact, is an artifact from really this kind of, you know, bygone era, right, where we didn't have data, right? We didn't have the technology to kind of do these things. So as I mentioned earlier, the resume is really a tool for oftentimes reinforcing social bias. What we've been able to actually see is that, you know, when we use our approach to actually uh, finding people that we open our funnel to anyone regardless of their of their background and we give people opportunity to demonstrate that they have these success these core skills to be successful, um, we end up with a much more diverse and egalitarian workforce, right? We as a company today, we're about 30% minorities and about a quarter female developers, um, you know, and that's without 
really kind of putting much effort into sort of diversity at all. Um, you know, when we start looking at you know, specific communities, the statistics get even more interesting, right? We end up proving that um, when we have taken social bias out of the recruiting process and we just look at people who actually have the skills, we end up finding that talent is fairly evenly distributed throughout society. Right? Even if opportunity isn't, we've shown that the ability to become a great software developer is basically evenly distributed across all, all socioeconomic backgrounds and all all backgrounds, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, or religion, or even education. Now, this is going to be a loaded question here, but you hear so much, especially in Silicon Valley, sort of the big tech firms, your Facebook, your Google, your Twitter, et cetera, about wanting to uh, increase the diversity of their workforce. There have been you know, surveys come out that somewhere between one in, I think, 5% of um, tech employees at Facebook are African-Americans, so very, very low underrepresented percentages. Why haven't they been the ones to do this or to lead this movement? It'd be something that they are on the forefront of these emerging technologies. Why aren't they on the forefront of implementing them in this fashion? That's a great question. Uh, I think there's a couple of things. I think number one, and this is one something we're trying to do a lot more of, is that we need to be able to share the good news about how this stuff works, right? Because, you know, Inevitably, you open up your magazine or your newspaper or you read your, any, any kind of thing that you're reading about today, what's the story, right? It's AI is taking away jobs, eliminating jobs, and everyone's going to be working for robots or be replaced by robots. You know, there's not enough emphasis put on the good news of what's happening. You know, Catalyte isn't the only company doing what we're doing today in terms of really kind of looking for people with raw potential and then developing them and advancing them lifelong through their careers. So I think that's that's sort of, you know, is, is first, I think there's just a lack of awareness that there is a different, a better way of actually creating the workforce that you need. I think secondly is that it also comes down to, frankly, you know, uh, uh, changing a lot of the philosophies of many of the companies, right? Today's company um, has become a lot more short-term focused than before in the sense that, you know, when you're living in a world of quarter to quarter sort of performance measurements of companies and your stock price is very sensitive to your quarter over quarter performance, you end up having a much more short-term mentality when it comes to your workforce. You end up with really what I call a just-in-time hiring approach, right? Whereas today, uh, companies don't really think in terms of career-long development of, 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 of their employees. They really think about, okay, what is the specific issue or problem I'm looking to solve? How do I quickly pull together a team to address that? And oftentimes, if you have a team that, if you have people who have a skill sets that exactly match the problem that the companies are going to solve, they're probably going to vastly overpay to hire you. Right. Versus if you're just missing a couple of things off that checklist, you know, you're completely, you know, you're, you're completely barred from even trying. To piggyback on that, are people maybe paying a premium for social markers in the workplace? I mean, if Absolutely. you graduated with Stanford CS, they'll automatically assume like, oh my, you're going to be a rock star. We can just put you on a project. You're going to work 85 hours a week. We don't have to worry about you. Just give you some soil link. You'll be fine. Just leave yes. you in the corner and do what you need to do. But yes. well, that might not necessarily be the case. But if you have to get this project deadline in order to get your stock you know, in line where it needs to be for the next quarter, you're going to overpay for that person. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think a lot about really, frankly, you know, resiliency of companies. Right? I think about really the innovation capacity and frankly, the capacity that companies have to address change. And I, I would make the argument today, and it's a personal argument, um, that companies are probably a lot more fragile today than they were 
you know, in previous decades, simply because they end up with a workforce that's just in time. Um, and they're very, they're, the workforce is very much tuned towards short-term, solving short-term problems versus, you know, when companies, frankly, when I think about companies of decades ago, when companies were really hiring people right out of school, oftentimes, if you think about during the industrial age in the United States, where companies were hiring, you know, uh, uh, vets and training them and giving them lifelong careers, you know, those companies had a lot more resiliency because you had first a workforce that was a lot more deeply engaged, that had a lot more loyalty to the company because they owed their career to the company kind of developing them. Yeah, 25 years gold watch sort of thing. Exactly, right? So you had a lot more engaged and loyal workforce. So, you know, when companies hit problems, the workforce would typically flex, right? They would be a lot more understanding and and would certainly be able to actually have a lot more capacity address change. I think the second thing that you've also seen, um, you know, is frankly, I mean, when you have when you have these just-in-time teams, inevitably what ends up happening is that you have teams that look very much alike, right? And this is Silicon Valley mentality where probably 90% of development teams are basically white and Asian males, right? You end up with teams that look very much the same because again, you're looking for specific social markers on that resume, right? Um, and and frankly, the people making the hiring decisions also, and none of this is explicit. I don't think any of this is, is intentional, but you end up having implicit social bias in people who are interviewing other people. And that's what makes it a little bit harder to root out as well because it's not, again, oh, I'm only gonna hire white men, I'm going to hire Asian men, I'm going to hire, you know, people from this particular school. You just have certain understandings of what you think is going to happen when you hire people who either came from a certain place or look a certain way. Yes, that's right. And so what ends up happening is you end up with these uh, workforce that very much looks very similar. I believe there's two two issues that number one is that, you know, when you start looking, having them look at problems that don't fit within that context that they were hired for, uh, there's challenges, right? They hit a wall. Second thing that you actually see in teams that are all kind of looking the same is, and this kind of lack of biological diversity to some extent, is you end up with a very brittle team where, um, you know, when you start thinking about, again, solving new kinds of problems that don't fit within that context, or frankly, bringing out-of-the-box thinking or, or, or from non-conventional ways, you know, having people who come from non-conventional backgrounds brings a lot more of that thinking and innovation to these teams. To, so yeah, to know to know your audience, if you're trying to reach the broadest group of people, either in the United States or globally, to have people from each of those different communities, demographics, who sort of know how those people think and will interact with your product in ways that you know you and I, coming from our own particular backgrounds, might not be able to see or even sort of uh, intellectualize when I'm trying to develop something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, devil's advocate here for one second. We talked about the um, sort of uh, implicit bias of one hiring manager, sort of one-on-one. -on -one. That process goes along pretty slowly. So you can do some damage, but it's incremental. How do you set up then these sort of skill-based hiring things so you're not doing that damage a lot quicker? Algorithms can work really great really fast if they're set up correctly, but they can also do a lot more damage really fast if you set them up incorrectly. Yes. Well, I think, again, that goes really down to sort of how you think about the algorithm. In fact, that's probably one of the you know, sort of threads of discussions that's going through Silicon Valley now is when you think about AI, who's programming the AI, right? So are you actually are you actually creating creating sort of machine-based learning that is actually reinforcing bias? Right. I don't know, right? That's probably a that's probably a question better answered by a computer by a <laughs> hardcore computer scientist. But I will just say that when we think about Catalyte and how we 
our assessing skills. Uh, it really does come down to sort of the assessment and the algorithm, right? So today, the way that we work is that we bring people on regardless of the background. Um, we put them through a two a two hour test uh, assessment, um, and essentially we ba we we are looking for specific thought patterns, right? We're looking for people who think a certain way, and that's how we define skill set. So it's not so much can this person do PowerPoint or can this person work Excel? Those are fairly trivial skills that 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 can be acquired. Those, those are teachable. Yes. It's sort of to do a, a sports analogy here in, in baseball, especially. You can teach someone to throw. You can teach someone to hit. You can't teach someone to run faster. Absolutely. That's just sort of their innate ability. That's right. That's exactly right. And so and so for within the Cadillac context where we're trying to create a software development workforce, what predicts for success in a software developers, right? So a couple of ones that I'll throw out there, and I, I'll mention that you know if you if you talk to our teams, there's about three thousand different variables that goes into that go into our assessment, but some of the more predictive ones may be intuitive for a lot of developers. Um, so for example, uh, you know, great developers are great problem solvers. So one of the things that we look for is a person's ability to synthesize complexity. So we will ask a very hairy complex. Uh, problem, and we want to see people slice that up into break it apart into smaller, solvable pieces. Right? Um, we're looking for people who exhibit something we call cognitive agility, which is um, a person's uh, propensity to make decisions based on evidence and data, but actually, more importantly, uh, change their mind uh, based on evidence and data uh, versus dogma. Right? Um, so we're looking for people who object, who are objective, right? Who actually um, can follow a, a, to take an objective view towards making decisions. They're not so much, they're not making decisions based on just, you know, how they believe or how they think about something, right? It's really objective, fact-based thinkers. Um, so it's things like that that, are, that we're looking for. These are the raw materials. These are sort of the mental patterns that we've seen that predict for success in software developers. So once we've identified those people, we invite them into a two and a half year program where they go through essentially um, nearly half a year of essentially real classroom training. So it's like a computer, two year computer science degree that we shrank down to five months. And then they're hired full time into Catalyte where we put them into an apprenticeship where they're working really side by side with more experienced developers, with master engineers. So they're learning through doing together. At the same time, they're also assigned uh, individual mentors, you know, and they're, and people have mentors throughout their entire career here. What we've just described is really just the onboarding process, right? So we think a lot about how do you advance a person's career? How do you progress them once they're here? Because our goal is to build lifelong careers in, 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 in our industry and certainly in our company. So the process doesn't stop, right? And, and I should just make a mental footnote here that I, I don't think that um, this approach would be strange to a company 30 years ago, right? So if you were talking to a Fortune 500 company 30 years ago, I don't think any of the things that I'm talking about are weird, right? It's only now in this just-in-time economy that people have moved to almost a gig type of approach, even to white-collar professional uh, employees. But, you know, I think about, you know, companies 30, 40 years ago that were, you know, literally hiring people right out of school into jobs that they had no credentials, no experience in, and training them, right, and developing them into those jobs. And I'm probably the tail end generation that, that stopped happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for, for my generation, there's definitely those, you know, the memes going around. It, entry level, you know, position wanted, five years experience needed. Yes. Like, you can't, that, that, those things are mutually <laughs> exclusive yes. unless you have this ability to show that, yes, I can do this job. You just need to give me a chance yes. to do this job. From the candidate's point of view is that there's that um, 
desire, there's that sort of drive to succeed, right? Where you just want a shot, right? At the same time, it's important that we take that same energy and motivation and we harness that into more structure, right? So we need to not only give people the shot, but given the the support structure, the the training and career development system behind it to actually ensure that they can progress. Sure, because otherwise I think you might be reinforcing those stereotypes that, okay, we gave you a shot, but you failed. Well, exactly. you gave me no support, no direction, no mentoring, no you know, up skills yes. is sort of the, the buzzword now about it. If you didn't, you didn't bring me along with your company who just hired me and, and sort of put me to field. That's exactly right. Now, where does sort of our labor uh, market or economy look like five to 10 years if, if more businesses or if government gets involved in sort of this level of skills-based hiring? What does it look like if they don't? Um, who sort of wins and who maybe gets left out? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that if things don't change, we're going to just end up in a more and more polarized, more and more fractured society simply because those people who have the skills and talent uh, for specific uh, to, to solve specific problems, they're going to continue to be vastly overpaid, right? So you're going to end up with a situation where uh, people who can produce short-term results are going to become uh, uh, are going to be vastly uh, kind of over rewarded versus um, people who don't exhibit those. There's going to be basically an increasing polarization in terms of income levels and certainly job opportunities between the workforce. Um, I do think that if a company adopts more skills-based hiring, what you hopefully will start to see is certainly I can say at a micro level, I think companies will build will become a lot more resilient. They'll be more, you know, I think many of them will exhibit anti-fragile uh, uh, traits where, you know, they get stronger because of adversity because their workforce is engaged and can learn and bounce back and get better uh, through time. I also think that uh, companies will have a lot more innovation capacity too, right? So when they start having teams of people who are doing innovative work, knowledge work, but they're coming from these non-conventional backgrounds, they're going to get a lot more innovation, a lot more non-conventional out-of-the-box thinking, right? And great ideas, as we all know, comes from anywhere, right, in an organization. Um, But I think that ultimately, it really comes down to sort of what kind of society we want to build, right? Especially, I mean, being Americans, we need to be a society where everybody does have an equal opportunity to succeed, doesn't mean everybody will, but you give everybody the opportunity to do that. And I think that you know, when you take on a more of a skills-based uh, approach, first of all, you open up that funnel, right? So you open up that funnel to people who are, um, you know, who may not typically have gotten a chance, a shot at doing that. Um, secondly, is I do believe that you know when we start bringing more people um, uh, from from non-conventional backgrounds into sort of the future economy, you end up, of course, building future workforce capacity, right? We as a country, in order for us to have the talent we need for the future, we should be developing that internally. We should be developing that from our existing workforce. We shouldn't be thinking about, okay, where else are we going to outsource something? Where else are we going to go? And, you know, how am I going to find exactly that right person in this world to, to, to solve this problem? Um, you know, that's not really capacity building, right? Uh, so for I, I think it's really important that we as a society are really thinking in terms of building the long-term capacity um, through uh, of our workforce. And that really comes from uh, uh, first helping people better understand what skills they need to be successful in particular careers that they want to pursue. And I think next is really building much more structured programs that not only train people up to do a job, but advance them lifelong in a career. 
There's been lots of think pieces recently sort of around the topic of is the American dream dead? And maybe this way of hiring and finding the talent that is equally distributed can help reverse that process and make sure that the American dream is once again, as it was during the height of the Industrial Revolution, open for everybody. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about that American dream, I, mean, I would say that, you know, this this is very much a reawakening of that American dream. I truly believe that, you know, again, I believe Catalyte is just one example of companies that are starting to approach this market in a different way that are have some solutions for addressing this kind of schism that's happened in the workforce. But I think it's just the beginning. We're scratching the surface of, 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 of what's possible in this area. Um, you know, I will just say as a as a personal, as an immigrant myself into the United States, I mean, I, I do believe that, um, you know, certainly in my own case, I believe that the American dream is very much alive, but I can see a lot of shared context with a lot of other, frankly, Americans that have been here for many generations um, having a lot of the same context. How do you find a shot? How do you make it? How do you get that first shot to actually build something? And, and how do you invest in your own career and, and develop that across many generations? Just like when we talk about first generation immigrants in the US, I hear a lot about first generation college students, you know? Uh, so it, it's happening across the country. I think there just needs to be a lot more um, spotlight put on to, you know, some of the good news that's happening around the country. Absolutely. Jake Shu, thank you for the conversation on skills-based hiring. Really appreciate it today. Thanks, Adam.